Hey, everybody. This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by our new communication system, Clinic Gym Connect. Now, I said communication system. It's also a marketing system. It's also a customer service system, and it's also a follow-up system. It's all of those things because it is a communication system, and you can't provide great service, great care, or great marketing without great communication. So the secret here is that we want you to use text message-based communication. It's what people do today. If you're just emailing your patients, if you're adding them to email lists through MailChimp and Gmail and all that, man, I just think you're going to struggle to grow. But we have some solutions built into our system that will help you grow and make this year the best year you've ever had in clinic and hopefully in your gym. So check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the US. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am joined today by one of my uh, recently added heroes in in the world, uh, Jason Schroeder. Jason, how are you? I'm doing super good. I've been excited about this all week. Good. Well, I tried to pump you up last week. You know, I, I, I called Jason out of the blue and said, hey, man, I think you, uh, you, you've seen the ways, brother. Show me the way, you know, like it's interesting. But for those listening going, who the heck is Jason Schroeder? Uh, I've never heard him or seen him at a chiropractic conference. That's right. You haven't because he's not a chiropractor. He is a uh, construction specialist, I would say, a construction consultant. And one of the things he has done is addressed all of the maybe uh, dysfunctions or improvements that can occur within the field of construction. That kind of have that right, Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's pretty close. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm passionate about making the industry better like you are with yours. So Yeah, that's right. And what's interesting is, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of similarities between healthcare and construction. We're always under time pressures, right? That's an, whether it's a 15-minute visit with a doctor or you have to be done in a ribbon cutting in nine months, like the clock is always ticking and that clock, the hand of the clock only one moves one way. Second thing, I think everybody in those things thinks, God, I don't know how to make this better. It's so dysfunctional. It's driving me nuts. Why do I have to do this? All this paperwork's killing me. And then third, at the end of the day, we all want to be engaged. We all want to be um, included. We all want to make our imprint on the world. And sometimes we feel like we're being held back from that, from forces outside of ourselves. For us, it's insurance companies. I'm sure for you, it's, it's the owner of the project or it's the architect who designed it a certain way or whatever. And these projects all are different. So there's no way that we can just standardize this. So here's how to make a soda can. You know, if you're make, if you're a soda can manufacturer, you're, every single project you worked on is different. Every single patient I've worked on is different. And with that kind of introduction, man, I would love to go after, I want to hear your, your way of improving the world so that I can take that back to my people and we can improve healthcare. 
How's that Love sound? That. I, I'm I'm ready. I'm j- I'm already jazzed about this. So All right, and that's good. not that's not false energy either. I um, when when you called me and said you're in the medical profession, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is going to be a great opportunity. So yeah. let's do this. What's the first right. thing we're talking about? Yeah, well, let's uh, let's get an idea where you're coming from. Um, we don't have to go over your whole, you know, boring bio that everybody always shares at the beginning of, <laughs> of all these podcasts. But um, you've been in construction for how long and, and what do you do and how big of projects have you been on? All right. So uh, construction, 22 years. I did not go to college. I came up through the craft, was promoted through the ranks up to uh, a director. Uh, for field operations and over these projects. So when you see uh, 300, you know, these large hospitals, these big towers or bridges, uh, these are uh, 50, 60, 100, 150, $350 million projects to to build, you know, uh, sometimes not even including the medical equipment, right? So I've built a lot of hospitals, a cancer center, laboratories. So a lot of the... Uh, people that you probably go to conferences with, the environments where they work and live and play and learn, uh, including universities, those are the types of large projects that I built. Uh, so, and 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 just a quick, you know, introduction to that. Uh, construction declines every year in productivity. Manufacturing increases. So my passion is we've got to turn that around. So let, let me explore that real quick because I want to make sure. So. Here you are working on uh, major infrastructure projects, things like uh, universities and hospitals and things like anybody in their town could point to one of your projects from a long way away and say, that's what he built. Correct. Um, And yet you're saying that every year construction, the amount of construction gets done in a year's time decreases? Yeah. The productivity per worker, per dollar invested, it decreases. And it's only a small percentage. It's, you know, one and a half percent to three percent, three and a half percent a year. But if you compare that to a 15 percent increase in manufacturing, you know, growth, uh, right. and increase in productivity in manufacturing. Sometimes in the history of manufacturing, 45%, we have a big problem. So, well, Hey, brother, I mean, we all deal, everybody listening here has dealt with insurance companies where, you know, I, I remember when I first went into practice 15 years ago, I got $123 per visit. And about six years ago, I got 45 or $48 for that same visit. So like, this incredible pressure and they're like, Hey, we want more service and cheaper. Okay. So yeah. just make both those happen at the same time and smile. Thank you. And Oh, submit some more paperwork. And you're like, yeah, at some point something's got to change. So I'm glad you're seeing that and trying to save your, your homies from, uh, from, <laughs> because what that really, well, you know, I've listened to your podcast again, Jason's the number one uh, lean construction podcast. Uh, at some point I'll have you throw it out. But one thing that you talk about that I've heard a lot in, in the world of, um, in healthcare is when you're pushed and Hey, do more of this paperwork and analyze that and do this and do it faster and, you know, do it cheaper and all these things. We as human beings, which you you cannot deny your DNA as a human start to almost despise the people that are asking us to do those things. Mm -hmm. And they're not bad people asking us to do that. They're just getting pressure. Hey, we need this paperwork and this pre-authorization and this form filled out. And they don't have any ill intent on that. But when it doesn't, when you don't understand the why, I think yeah. that we grow to like despise those people. How can they be asking me this and making me do it for less money? And in doing that, that sets up a horrible human to human relationship, no matter what we're aiming at as a goal. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I was in the, I was taking my daughter to get her learner's permit today at the DMV and I'm not comparing the DMV to what you do, but 
uh, the forms and the paperwork, and I'm seeing her, you know, filter 18 different forms with signatures here, and then 80% of the form is waste. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, my goodness, this and all of these walls in here that with empty office spaces and everything, it's all waste. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. One of these days, I'll have, I'll have to show you. Unless you've already checked out all the Paul Aker stuff, he took a plane ticket. Uh, you know how there's all these words, all these words, they're different sizes. It's, you're like, where is my gate? And he he 5S'd it and leaned it down to where it was just, you know, five simple pictures. Where Where's my gate? What's my departure time? You know, five, you could get that same information yeah. right down to five simple pictures and simplify the whole world. But because of the systems and the technology and the software and the development, and bureaucracy and laws and everything, you have this jumbled mess that doesn't do anything for the customer experience. <laughs> so right, yeah. I'm, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, let's let's dive a little deeper here because I want to I want people to understand. Uh, you just mentioned waste. You mentioned Paul Akers, who's a, just an amazing uh, leader in that world. But it all comes back to something called lean manufacturing or lean management. And some folks listening may have seen some videos, but may not understand what that means. What is lean as a approach to uh, business operations? Let's take that first, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, lean, lean is a business model to approach it. It's a mindset. Most of the time, lean practitioners don't like it to be just viewed as tools. Mm -hmm. If you ask different people what lean means, they might say the elimination of waste. They might say the elimination of waste and continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's just a lot of different thought there. Uh, the Toyota, there's 14 principles that Toyota uses as a part of what's called the Toyota production system. Uh, that they developed in Japan from Japanese mindset, but also uh, Dr. Deming, uh, who was a lean uh, quality champion based around standard work. Uh, he created, uh, you know, had a lot of influence with the plan, do, check, act cycle in the United States. So basically, there were some really wise folks from the United States. There was Ford Motor Company. The Japanese uh, took those concepts and developed the, the Toyota production system. And they... Uh, they are more profitable than the next four largest car companies combined. And, and in within their history, they have been more profitable than all other car companies combined from a profitability standpoint. And it's because of this one single concept, and it's, and it's based around flow. And you probably hear me talk a lot about it on the podcast. And flow really means that we produce what the customer needs when the customer needs it and flow drives up revenue and up cash flow and up profits and it drives down the need the need for resources uh, so I'll say two things because this is going to get into some fun stuff. I, I love t talking about lean not just with construction. My definition of lean as it's tiered is flow, but that we get flow by first, respect for people and resources. Number two, creating stable environments where we can see problems together. Number three, gain total participation with the people in our organizations. And number four, continuously improve. So, you know, if you respect people, that, that guy's better decisions. That's your why, okay? Uh, 
stable environments starts to create a, an environment for flow. Total participation gets everybody flowing. And then continuous improvement constantly makes it to where I have more and more flow. So I'm not, uh, I, if these folks are competitors, please don't get me in trouble. But uh, the non-medical world, like somebody like me who's ignorant a little bit to it, we really like companies like Kaiser Permanente because they build hospitals where uh, you can go there, get your assessment, check in, do your labs, get the results, see a doctor, have a, a treatment plan, and then leave within the, within the space of three hours. And, and, and so let, 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 me, let me just do this really quickly with you. That's flow. What did we want to flow? We wanted the patient to flow. That's the flow unit. And there's a really neat book. Actually, I don't know why I didn't recommend it before, but um, there's a book uh, called This is Lean. It has a little um, water fountain with water coming out of it, and then it goes straight in a straight line. It's called This is Lean. And they talk about that. Usually in the medical field, and this is from an observer. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a lot of authenticity with this. No, I bet this is more accurate than what we see because we, we hold on to our artifacts, right? And oh, oh. this is the way it's done. Yeah, I love it. So, so consider this, and this is actually in the book. This is lean. Somebody goes. Uh, somebody says, "I feel a lump in my in my breast." A, a female and wants to go get it checked out. Calls for an appointment. Uh, somebody calls her back. Two weeks later, there's an opening. They go in to get an initial assessment. Yes, we should do a mammogram. Or what? What do you call the? I think it's a mammogram. mammogram. Yes, we should do it. Now that appointment's scheduled for three weeks later. Go back in. Okay, we'll call you with the results. Get a doctor's appointment five weeks later. And this this isn't made up. This is real. Five weeks later, now I get an appointment to come see the doctor. Yes, it's cancerous. Now we need to... Now we need to uh, uh, just schedule the surgery. Okay, schedule, surgery is scheduled three weeks later. Okay, you, you see the point. Now, we're looking at 12, 14, 16, and literally in some parts of the world, we're talking about six months. What flows? What flows? The only thing that flows in that situation are the individual resources. So, so who's trying to flow? The desk scheduling the appointments is starting is wanting to cram these in, and they want good efficiency. Then the doctor seeing patients wants flow, and they want their resource to flow. The, and then each individual department, each individual service is wanting to flow independently. What happens to the actual patient? They get they they're like a pinpoint ball back and forth and back and forth and they don't flow. So the difference is resource efficiency versus flow efficiency. And so a normal hospital healthcare system will really put the patient at a disadvantage and delay when they get their care. And what Kaiser Permanente, a company like they have done, is they've said, we are going to swarm on this one flow unit. We are going to geographically locate our services. We are going to have nimble scheduling systems to where when they come in here, we are going to pull people through that system as fast as we can. And so that's what the Japanese did that made them more profitable. Uh, and this, I'll close with this because I'm, I'm sure you're like, gosh, dang it. He won't shut up. The, the Japanese said, I don't have acres and acres of, of, of uh, warehouse. I don't have all this manufacturing space. Ben Henry Ford and their group, they would, they would say, I'm going to manufacture 
5,000 vehicles. And then they would go park them on the, out, in, out in the yard, right? You, and back in his day, it was all one color. It wasn't what the customer wanted, right? They said, we can't do that. We, are, we live in an island. So instead of having a, uh, an assembly line that just did one car, they said, we're going to have an assembly line. This can build five different types of cars. So if the customers order 247 Toyota Camrys, They'll make they like they'll they'll create a little bit of a buffer. They'll make 300 of them, but they'll they'll switch out the tools, and then they'll make 300 Toyota Camrys, and then they've got an order of 147 Toyota Tundras. So they'll switch out those tools and they'll make mm-hmm. them. They only produce what the customer wants when the customer wants it. They have flow, and this this is the big aha moment for our industry. Where why do we lose so much money? It comes from waste. And so there's eight known wastes. Let's see if I can get them. You're testing me here. So once we overproduce something, then we have an excess of inventory. Once we have excess inventory, we have to move it. It creates additional transportation. It creates creates defects, meaning it gets damaged. We have to count them. Then we have to overprocess. All of that creates waiting. Oops, I didn't mean the middle finger there. Anyway, that creates waiting. And then that was all a waste because we didn't use the genius of the team. So there's eight wastes. So overproduction, overproducing something is the mother of all wastes. And what happens is when we switch all those tasks, when that flow unit has to go back and forth and back and forth and we're not in the right context and we don't focus, the context switching alone wastes so many hours and the overproduction of paperwork and of needless regulations and of inventorying and of overprocessing, which you deal a lot with, creates our financial losses. And so in manufacturing, the last thing I'll say before I turn it back over to you is if you have a, an American manufacturing company, most of the time what they'll do is they'll change it from these long assembly lines to they create individual products and one person or three people will take that one piece through the different stations and stay with it until it's done, until it gets to the customer. That's what's called one piece flow. And so I am, I don't, I can't speak to your world, but I'm always impressed at the thought, could we as a chiropractor or a dentist or a doctor swarm on that patient and as soon as they arrive get them into the into the chair into uh, services taking care of them asking questions finalizing the insurance and everything in and out of the door quickly to where we don't have a lot of context switching and overproduction so that i hope i answered the question Absolutely. And, and about seven more. So I really appreciate it because uh, yeah, that's what a podcast is all about. I love the long form for this. But for those listening, like, let me give a, a concrete example of overproduction when Jason's saying that in, in your office. The classic uh, thing in a chiropractic office, a patient has scheduled an appointment, they come in, they're handed a clipboard with paperwork to fill out. Every, and on the first page, it says, what's your name? You put Jason Schroeder. What's your address? You know, 1234 Main Street, Phoenix, Arizona. On the second page at the top, what's your name? What's your address? On the third page at the top, what's your name? What's your address? All of the additional times we write that information, it's all waste. And then you got to go like, why are we doing that? Well, we need this information in case we ever pull the sheet out by itself. Okay, well, now we're storing inventory, right? We're storing a bunch of sheets that may or may not have usable information and may have a mistake. 
And then what if the person just didn't want to do it? So they just drew a line through that area because they're sick of writing it for the fifth time. And that's the only sheet you have. Now you have a defect. You have to go back and find that patient file, find their actual name and address and double check that they wrote it down, right? And so you have to be thinking, if I want to eliminate that waste, how do I do it? Well, should I only have them write their, their name and address down one time? Sure, but then I'm going to hand it to my front desk person who's going to enter it into a computer. Well, then why not have the patient enter it in a computer? Why not have the patient do that at home yeah. so that when they come in the office, I already have that information. It's already exactly where I need it. And I can start working on, you're like you're saying, contact switching. I don't need to do the insurance thing, the intake thing, and then the exam thing, and then the treatment thing. If I set it up right, the flow could be they walk in, all that information's already in the system. We captured it one time. And yes. now we can get to the value add, which is what they really want. I want my back to stop hurting and you need to examine it. Cool. Within one, within 10 seconds of them walking in your office, you could have them sit down, which means, I hope everybody's uh, listening intently. You don't need a waiting room. A waiting room is a place for overproduction to occur. It has the word waiting in it, Jason. Like, can you imagine if on a construction site I said, well, this is the, uh, this is the delivery waiting area. You'd be like, we don't do that here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a bunch of trucks. They're going to pull up. They're going to sit there. You're going to hand the clipboard to the driver. He's going to fill out some paperwork. Then another guy is going to come along and ask him for what, you know, his insurance paperwork. And then he's going to sit there. And then finally, if all that's good, we're going to find a place for him to park. You'd be like going out of your mind, pulling your hair out, going, how about he pulls onto the lot and delivers? And it's like, well, that, that is, that is, that's just crazy talk, man. This, that is impossible. Yeah. Well, so, I think, good. I just want to say like, so when you look at your practice, everybody listening, what Jason's talking about with lean and what he did in construction is look at every single place that there was waste and do his best to eliminate it. And how do you find that? One thing that becomes quickly apparent is it can't all fall on your shoulders. The person that knows the waste is the person who is closest to that job. So if you want to know how much waste there is in the way that you, your office takes out the trash, ask the person who's taking out the trash every day, how could we do this better? And yeah. they'll say, oh God, you know, like, I don't know why we take out all these, all these buckets that are like not even half full. Can't we just combine them into one? And you're like, wow, that would save us a lot of money and time. Yeah, yeah. we could do that. You know, and I want to build on something that you said because it was so good. Um, asking what Look, can we I'm do? I'm only going to give you 45 more minutes to give me compliments, and then we're going to cut this recording off. <laughs> but go ahead, uh, just right now. That's you know, fine. So the I'll get a couple more in because that's me. You know, a lot of people think I'm insincere, but that's just me. I thrive on positivity. So um, I'm sure there's something you're doing wrong, but in the absence of that, I'll give you the compliment that I see right now. So the, the what you said was brilliant, and continuous improvement to to develop that even farther we have to look at it based on the flow unit let me let me just give you an example right so what what is easier on the front office staff doing the intake right um, it would be to do one after another after another after another to for for the front office person to say oh let me take you in let me walk you over here it's a little bit more inconvenient right uh, but it's more convenient for the customer so in my mind we have to pair continuous improvement, what would make this better? But we have to also say, what would make this better for the flow unit? What would make this better for the customer? Because what I see is a lot of uh, organizations will do continuous improvement, but they do continuous improvement for themselves. Meaning how does my 
how does my world get easier? Well, my world gets easier if I sit on this desk and all I do is intake forms. And to your point that I have two forms, so I don't ever have to look, I don't ever have to wonder or look at it. It's in two spots, right? Because they're filling it out anyway. By the way, a little funny fact, I have 11 kids. So when I go in uh, to, to the dentist or the doctor, they're like, hey, fill out these 11 forms times 25 pages. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to murder somebody. But anyway... So let's not, let's you ask. just get a rubber stamp of your home address and cha-chunk, cha-chunk, yeah. cha-chunk, cha-chunk. <laughs> that's, a, that's continuous improvement. So, so my point is, let's not always ask just what's going to make our role or our individual resource efficiency more, or, or I was about to say more better. That's ridiculous. More gooder. What, what's going to make our resource, me and my computer and my station more efficient, more uh, lean and, and, and better? What's going to make that flow unit? What's going to make that cut? Because you opened this saying, you know, how can we really have a focus on, on the customer? Well, make them the flow unit. Make what they do flow. Do yeah. the Kaiser Permanente version of that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Can can we go into your um, your construction past? And I just want to maybe people can hear this more too if they hear a different context. Okay. But there you were, you working your way up from a. I mean, you were basically a concrete laborer, right? Uh, a yeah. finisher, mm-hmm. and then you ended up over a three hundred fifty million dollar project. Like, I mean, obviously you worked your way up, and you're a hard worker and all that. Um, but when did you start recognizing like, man, we could do this so much better or there is so much waste? Like, when did you finally feel the pressure of all that waste to the point where you wanted to fix it? Um, so there was two things that naturally helped my personality and I'm just this way. Everyone has their strengths. But my, like if, when I do the strengths finder test, uh, mine is uh, context, learning, communicating, connection, um, and what was the, oh, the other one was positivity. So I really like that. So learning has always been a part of where I, where I, my mind resides. As I worked up, uh, it, every time it was, how can I learn this and simplify, learn, simplify, learn, simplify. When I was an area, uh, area superintendent and I wasn't yet in charge of the project yet, I was really frustrated at how things were. Here's, here's actually the moment. What, what's that? I said, uh, for context, you're throwing out some construction position. An area superintendent would be oh. like a middle management, upper management? Yeah, middle management. Yeah, that's okay. that's the okay. position just before you run your entire job. Okay. Yeah, so like um, vice president. So yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. So uh, I'm not the one, I'm not the captain of the ship, but I'm first mate, right? So, mm-hmm. so. Uh, this was a good little story. Uh, we had nasty restrooms. Uh, the project wasn't clean. People weren't gaining their production. Not safe. So frustrating. I'm like, what? We have hundreds of people on these projects. This is disgusting. Uh, read Paul Aker's book, Two Second Lean, and an epiphany. Uh, I had an epiphany, a revelation that this was a human thing. This was a, not that it was the people problem, but this was a human thing. And that's what a lot of people, I think, are. Um, are not taking advantage of initially is that it's really comes down to the people. And so in that example, I asked, how can we do this better? And I promised all 210 workers on site, 
we're going to build custom bathrooms for you. We are going to huddle with you constantly. We are going to get extra supplies, a nice lunchroom. Uh, we're going to do everything that you need. I'm going to bring donuts. Uh, we're going to do barbecues. We're going to listen to you. Everything you have to say, anything you want fixed, we're going to do that. And in return, we expect you to keep the restrooms clean and to be safe and to do those things that treats yourself and other people with respect. And I swear to you, without any exaggeration, uh, it it changed in the, in about the course of two weeks. And that project won awards for the safest project on the West Coast. Uh, it was wow. clean. It was safe. It was organized. When we started to trust people and respect people as our foundation, that's when things changed. And so that's what got my mind into this world of Paul Akers, this world of lean, this world of there's a better way to do it. And what I started to find out is that uh, if you can get total participation and in your clinics, the people that you're talking to, your practices, you know, if you're there to make money, may God have mercy on your soul only. If you're, if that's your only goal, that's that's tough. But if you're there to use your practice to bless the people that work there and the, your patients that you serve, that's step one, right? Step two is, Everybody should, every project, every process, every office, every chiropractor has problems. We tell people and make them believe, raise those to the surface. Create, stabilize everything. We have standard systems for everything. And then we improve, stabilize it, improve, stabilize it, improve, stabilize it. And, and then if you get everybody doing that and you win over their hearts and minds in this remarkable culture, then they, like you said, will be the ones that continuously improve. And we head in that direction. And that was the light bulb. That was the, the moment when I realized these 210 people are brilliant. They are sharp. And I love that you mentioned the janitor. Your janitor is just as sharp. And, and if somebody disagrees with me, they're wrong. I'm sorry. Like, I hope I didn't offend everybody. But your janitor is just as sharp right. as anyone Getting else. Getting offended is really good for ratings. So I love it. Keep doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. hey. Don't do not look down on them. Even if you, not you, I know you yeah. don't because you mentioned it. But even if you make three hundred fifty plus a year, five hundred thousand plus a year, you do not discount that janitor. When you have total participation, that's when your organization will make leaps and strides towards taking care of their customer. That was the moment for me. Wow. Let's talk about this because I want to put this in perspective. I mean, I've been on some construction sites. Um, I, when I was in college, I helped build some uh, custom homes and whatnot, and it was super fun. But um, I remember <laughs> the bathrooms. It's so funny you said bathrooms because I remember on this one site there was an outhouse to use because the uh, you know the guys like, hey, we we never use the bathrooms inside the house. It was Montana. It's like eh, ten degrees at some point, and there's a you know little uh, porta potty, and somebody just kind of I don't know how to say it, like threw it in an area. It's kind of tilted. It's in a horrible location. The door couldn't open all the way. And, you know, that little piece really set the tone for that whole thing. And nobody cared, like any of the workers on site, nobody really cared about that house and just kind of hacked their way through and got it done. And at the end of it, we were supposed to be done. I would say that major construction was done just two months after uh, the date that the client was promised. So the client's really pissed. And after that, they went on another at least month of every day. We had to go back and rework little things, a punch list as they call it, you know, but Hey, this, yeah. this area never got painted or this area, this cabinet's not level and all that stuff. Cause everybody was just hacking their way through it. And I bet you could trace that back to that stupid off canter 
uncomfortable outhouse. Like had yeah. that improved, a lot would improve. Yeah. You know, I, I think that uh, you bring up a good point, and that's not just a compliment. It's that, you know, training and focusing on our people first and having those environments, that's step one. Uh, because with the bathrooms, now we have shown the workers the level of care that they are to take building that house. So that rework, mm. people are going to think I'm crazy. That rework is because of the bathroom. We told that worker what level of care to take with that house. The minute we put that thing off kilter, the minute the door didn't open, the minute it was out in the cold, it, that is the, the exact moment that that happened. Interesting. When we don't care. And I heard somebody at church say this, all this is a universal, but uh, I remember she said, until we get that this is a, a, all about people, we don't get it. Right. And so what comes with that when we say we care about people, training, connection, uh, listening, making sure that we're, we're going the extra mile, stopping, not caring so much about processes and pre procedures, but actually caring and asking about the people. And that's why I love the Paul Akers and the Patrick Lencioni methods. You know, if we, I love the quote that says, if we can get uh, people all rowing in an organization, rowing in the same direction, we can dominate in, in, in any industry, in any market, against any competition, anywhere in the world. And that is 100% true. So on a construction site, those houses, they had two people bought in, the two people leading the job, when they could have had 30 with all of the workers. And on these huge projects, there's 12 people, you know, whatever, there's 10, nine people on the project management staff. Those are the people that are bought in when we could have 310. That is when we get, that's when we turn these into remarkable environments. Awesome. I love that you use the word remarkable, by the way. I hear it all the way in your books and in your podcast. And I, I love it because it is such a, it's a, it's like a highlighter marker going through your words, you know, like remarkable, not okay, not good, not nice. We're saying remarkable. You know? Yeah. Hey, can I touch on that real quick? I know you have something. Absolutely. So, so there's a book called The Magic Art of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. I know you, you probably know that book. But she says, she, she says, here's the qualifying, here's how you decide what to keep and what to throw away in your house. Everything should bring you joy. And I know that sounds lofty, but it's true. Everything in our house should bring us joy. Everything in your clinic should bring you joy. Everything on this, on our project sites should bring us joy. The Japanese have given us two really wonderful concepts, striving for perfection, even though we'll never get there, but striving for it. And this concept of respect and accountability. You can't respect somebody unless you hold them accountable, right? And so in our house, we have 11 kids. We look like an episode of Hoarders like when we were first married with these kids running around. Now we've got people that help us clean. We clean ourselves. We have systems. We have buddy systems. And if we look at something, that shelf just gathers clutter. It's out. I'm done with this. Everything is talking to you. Everything is giving you energy. A pile of clothes on the floor is telling you you're a slob and that you live in a disgusting environment. But conversely, like a nicely decorated shelf that's dusted and clean or a beautifully decorated wall or painted walls are telling you, you are excellent. And you, this is a beautiful place to be. And so that is the measure of success. And if something isn't bringing us joy, what Paul Akers says is there's three things. Teach everyone in our organization about the eight ways. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify this. I hope you don't have to mark this explicit. Cut it out if you don't like it. But 
Waste should piss us off. Like we should be annoyed. To, like somebody just keyed our car. Pissed off about this. And then give everybody the environment to make incremental improvements every day until the environment brings us joy. And that that is when we have environments where customers want to be there, they feel served, and employees have a hard time not wanting to stay at the office because they enjoy themselves so much. I know it sounds lofty, but it's... No, I I love everything about it. I mean, there's so many good points there that just kind of get brushed over a lot. And going back to what you said about, like, you were on sites with 320 people, you know, and getting them all bought in was monumental. I mean, uh, but the great thing is, if anybody's ever listened to Patrick Lencioni, who... Jason turned me on to, which is like the five dysfunctions of the team is one of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, the four, what is it? Qualities of a remarkable CEO or something like that. Uh, well, I can tell you all of them if you want, but, but yeah, the anyways, main he's, a, he's a very, yeah. he's, he's a great author whose core idea is engage people, make mm-hmm. sure that there is absolute clear communication. I mean, whether it's your marriage or it's Jason on, on site with 320 guys, but here's the thing. One thing that is in there that I hope everybody, uh, you know, this is like, we're talking all about waste and how bad it can go. The great news here is most chiropractic offices are small. They're one, two, five people, right? And it's so much easier to get 100% buy-in with fewer people than it is with a lot of people. I mean, if you're the president of the United States trying to get buy-in from everybody in Congress, everybody in the Senate, and every member of your cabinet is, it's impossible almost. I mean, I'm sure somebody could do it. But here we are running a small company and we can get buy-in because we can directly engage every person every week. And that's a huge advantage, right? I mean, Jason, would you, uh, I'm sure now seeing in your consulting role, you can get buy-in at such a faster pace than when you were 320 people on site who may or may not be on that site uh, the next day. Totally agree. Yeah. I I totally agree. huge, Huge advantage there. So could you help us kind of tease some things out there, Jason, from your expertise as I know you do a lot of consulting and a lot of boot camps and whatnot for uh, construction superintendents and foremen and all that. But for that, that Cairo out there that maybe has a goal of like, hey, we want to double our practice in the next three years, right? We want to have twice as many patients. We want to have twice as much revenue. Can you help us kind of design a plan to get there based on what you know? So we know we have to, number one, we have to engage every single person on staff. Like you have to clearly understand, know, and be able to clearly communicate with every single member of your staff. Mm-hmm. Bar none, right? Yeah. Second thing is everybody, when you said rowing in the same direction, Jason should be able to go to your clinic in the middle of the day at any point and ask anybody on the staff, what is our number one goal right now? And if anybody doesn't come back with double in three years, that's our goal. Yeah. Then we're off pace, Right. And it doesn't have to be double. I mean, it could be like, hey, we want to figure out how to diagnose tendonitis more accurately, or we want to have a better relationship with our imaging company. Whatever it is, all those are fine goals. But I think what uh, you have shared with me is that everybody needs to be absolutely 110% clear that that's our goal as a team. Absolutely. And bought in. They have to be able to weigh in and buy in. How do you do that? How do you get them to buy in and weigh in? Uh, well, the, the simple answer is you ask their opinion. Um, you know, when you the systems that you're talking about, and I'll just go through this briefly, the motive means that leaders will build their leadership team first, have hard conversations, manage and mentor and coach direct reports, hold remarkable meetings and scale communication. 
if, if we don't do that, we're not leaders. So we have to have a multiplier leader at that office. Uh, the second thing is we have to be engaging those five behaviors. Trust each, uh, build trust, having healthy conflicts, setting goals together, holding each other accountable, and performing. If we don't have that, then we don't have a team. And so uh, the, the key indicators there, do your office men or women go home and complain to their spouses about work? Do, do they, are they annoyed at things and they won't tell you? Are yeah. you in a meeting and they're all silent? Like those are signs of dysfunction and a lack of trust. And building that through that Lencioni model is absolutely key. The other thing to your point is, where is this company headed long-term? What's our, what's our 100-year goal, 20-year goal? And then what's our 6- to 12-month goal? And people need to know that and head in that same direction. And that's what creates urgency. Because if you look at that Patrick Lencioni triangle, if you have a multiplier leader that trusts her or his people, and you engage in those behaviors, you have to have something pulling people through. And that is that urgency, that what is our goal? What is our big, hairy, audacious goal? What is our challenge as a group that's magnetizing us through? You know, if a team doesn't have an emergency, if it, um, I don't know how much time we have, but, you know, doctors in an emergency room, the nurses and the technicians and the doctors, they can be yelling at each other when they're saving a patient on the, on an, on the emergency room floor. They can be yelling at each other and then go in, in the, the break room and be totally civil. Why? Because they don't have time to worry about garbage and politics when, they're, when, when there's a patient dying on the table. Every company has to have a sense of urgency and a, and a multiplying leader and those behaviors to magnetize them and draw them together. And uh, so, so that's how you do it. The other thing that's brilliant, and there's a number of books about this, but I would recommend next, The Truth About Employee Engagement. This is gonna ring true with everybody and they're gonna love this podcast just based on this. Your employees are miserable, fact, period, end of story, don't care what you say. If they do not have a person on the staff that personally knows them, their kids, their names, their trials, their struggles, if they don't know how they're relevant to the organization in a deep and meaningful manner, and number three, if they don't have measurement, if they don't know what winning looks like every day, and so I'll, I'll close out. So like, if I'm, if I'm working for you and I'm upset, I either, you either don't know me or I don't know how I'm relevant to this organization or I don't know what winning looks like every day. What am I supposed to do? Come in here and file paper? You know, that's why the customer focus improves that. I'm not here as a paper pusher. This isn't just a day in and day out job. The person that walks through that door... As they walk through here, if they haven't felt joy by the time they end, then I didn't win today. And that's why in the book, The Truth About Employee Engagement, where they're talking about a pizza company, and he said, don't measure orders, measure smiles. How many people that went through this, this drive-through smiled at you? That is the measure of your success. And then that business started to double, you know, because we're always taught, uh, you know, prospects, increasing the percentage there, increasing the number of sales, increasing the price of our product, and increasing repeat customers. Like that's business MBA 101, right? You do that and you multiply your business exponentially. How do you do that with engaged employees and a focus on the customer? So one quick example, I know I'm talking too much. There's a a hotel, I can't remember if it was in Scaling Up Excellence or uh, the Power of Habit or uh, the Power of Moments, I can't remember. 
But th- I think it's in the power of moments. And if you, if any, if any company wants to read a great book, read that. The power of moments. Chip, um, it's is also it Chip Heath or Dan Heath, one of the. Yeah, Heath I think it's Chip yeah, and Dan amazing. Heath. They talk about the popsicle phone, and there's a normal hotel, nothing super special, but Mag- at the pool. Magic Castle Hotel in L.A. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So th- you can just go up, dial, just open the phone. I need a popsicle. And that right there created a moment. It anchored them. It made them feel special. So if I'm somebody in a, in a chiropractor clinic, I, I would tell everyone in the office, how many smiles, how many moments can we get? At least one per person. As they're leaving this office, they've remembered that as a high spot of this day. Is it a popsicle? Is it a moment? Is it a compliment? It, what is it? Well, let's get creative. And let's let them flow through this office and always be improving that. I love it. I love it. I love it because it's simple, right? All I have to do is get down to communicate and understand the people I'm with. And yet it is so hard in execution, right? Like it's so hard to week in and week out, engage those people and understand what they're truly really about. I had a a little story for you. I had a, a friend and she runs a very large financial company out here in Las Vegas. And she was saying that uh, she set about to understand every one of her employees to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had this woman that she had struggled with for probably two years. And just productivity was not that high. She was a nice enough person, but kind of, I don't know how to say it, skittish and didn't really offer information at the right time. So she sat down and she said, what's really important to you? And the woman said, what do you mean? And she said, I really want to know what's important to you because honestly, I'm not hitting it. Like I, I, the, the boss was saying, I, I know I'm not hitting what's important to you because of your actions, you know, like, and, and the way you are, I, I just think that there's more inside of you and I'm just not getting it. And I want to know. And she like looks over her right, left shoulder, looks over right shoulder and she says, security, personal security. And she's like, the boss is like, what? She's like, yeah, I've, unfortunately I've been in, a few abusive relationships and I'm, I'm very scared of personal security. She said, so what, what, what would you like us to do? Like, I don't, I've, I wasn't ready for that answer. What would you like to do? She's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to ask you, but I'd really like my desk to, to face the elevator so I can just see who's getting out. And, um, and, uh, if it's okay, I'd like to have, uh, uh, the security guard walk me out to my car every night. And Mary, my friend that's a boss, like, done. I mean, if that's what matters to you, you're like, I can't believe we haven't done this for you yet. Yeah. But she said she had to sit down and say, like, what really matters to you? And that you had to, it wasn't going to happen in a meeting. It wasn't going to happen anyway, but one-on-one meeting of, of getting to know her and understanding that. She said as soon as she turned her desk to face the elevator and allowed her to have the freaking security guard walk her to her car every night. Mm-hmm. And Mary, the, the manager said, move your parking spot up. We'll, we'll give you a parking spot. That's the shortest distance from the door to the car. You know, all these things, these are easy things. She said productivity went up like triple, just wow. unbelievable knocked out of the park because she understood that person. Now, most of the people don't identify personal security as their number one thing that matters to them. Yeah. But there's something that they want. There's something they want to be engaged about. And there's something where they have to trust that you understand them. Amen. And, and going back to your thing about the ER, like we can yell and scream if we trust each other. Yeah. But if we don't trust each other, it's attacking each other. That's how it seems, you know? That's when it's unhealthy conflict. Yeah. I agree. And, and, you know, something for anybody listening Everyone knows this, but it bears reminding culture 
are the micro actions and beliefs of any organization. And every time we don't listen to somebody, every time we ask how they're doing and we don't stay with it and actually respond, every time we shut somebody down for an idea and say, no, I don't like that idea, every time, all these little micro actions are telling your, your um, team members whether or not they can trust this environment. And so culture, and we've all heard this, culture will, will eat strategy every time. It doesn't matter what strategy we have if we have a defective culture. And that's based on those micro actions. And so I love what you said. We have to do that. Uh, the other thing that I would say that really drives the difference for employees on a grand scale is personal organization and the dynamics of a team. 40 to 60% of what we do is waste. And if somebody can legitimately only do what they should do and can do and not wasted activities, then they have the time and capacity to improve. And I don't need to tell you this, but Paul Akers gives his employees an hour every morning to improve, to study, to learn, to reflect, to clean, to organize, to 3S, to remove the eight wastes, and then trust them daily to make their own improvements. And they have huddles, and they make two-second lean improvements, so they share those videos, and that creates a culture, right? And so what, what plagues construction is that we've never learned how to do a couple of things, so maybe, maybe this is helpful. Uh, public schools, and I went to public school, don't get after me, but public schools teach us to sit down and shut up. Don't be creative. Don't stay too long at something. Go from class to class. You get your, you know, your relevance from the social group that you're a part of. You're intellectually and emotionally dependent on the teacher, right? And now all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden, Josh, Dr. Satterley, is like asking everyone to speak up. Well, okay, that's great, but there's 24 years, 18 years of mental programming that went, went against that. So our cultures have to be that much better, that much more progressive, that much more intentional to pull people out to where they'll actually speak up. And I would say that the the fact that we never learned to delegate, to speak up, to hold people accountable, to organize our time, to eliminate waste hurts us. And then the last thing that I would say is that the thing that made us great at what we do is the very thing that's hurting us from being the leaders we want. Meaning we were told by our parents to be loved, to, that we had to work hard. Now that concept of working hard and being busy is the exact same thing that puts us in a pile of waste. If that motion that I have to be busy, I'm going to do extra work, I'm going to do this, is the thing that's holding us back from saying, no, I'm not going to do that wasteful activity. I'm not going to be overly busy. I'm not going to want to look busy to get my relevance here. I am going to be as efficient as possible so that my spare time can be spent on improving and taking care of the customer. So personal organization and the health and balance of the team are the two biggest things, the first things I always start with in addition to the culture and the team because without the capacity to improve, we don't do it. Without the time to take care of the customer, we don't do it. And we have to redefine what success looks like and it's not motion. I want everybody that listens to your podcast to know motion is waste. Busyness is waste. All of it is waste. You should be so good at getting, like you said, let's put their the entry forms online let's get them in the door i don't even need the stinking waiting room i mean you should be so good then you're like okay i've got 45 minutes 
well, heck, I'm going to go get that patient a Diet Pepsi because, you know, I'm just making something up. But like, yeah, it's about the customer and we have to right. have, in order for us to elevate somebody else, we have to be on higher ground. In order for us to loan money, we have to have money. In order for us to uh, to consult on health, we have to be healthy. In order for us to, to give advice, we have to have wisdom. And in order for you to, your people to deliver a customer experience that's remarkable, <laughs> they have to have the capacity and the time to do it. Yeah, it's. Man, you're inspiring me for what is possible in healthcare. I mean, we're not even 1% of the way there, right? Like that's what's exciting is this this chance at improving every day, constantly refining it. Uh, you know, I, I had an experience the other day, you'll, you'll like this, that just told me how close we are. So, you know, when a new patient comes in, I want to do a neurological exam to make sure that if they're telling me their back hurts or shoulder hurts, that it's it's really the muscles and the joints and the things we don't really need to worry about. But one of the things we're always concerned about is their neurological system, their nerves and their brain and all that. So we always do like a, an exam and I check your reflexes, you know, a little hammer like on your knee and then I have a little thing that checks your sensation. Like does your skin feel the same side to side? And then we check your grip on either side to make sure like you can activate your muscles. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple th- other things. And so I took, I, uh, in my office, I have a workbench with drawers instead of cabinets because I, You'll find out why. After watching a bunch of Paul Akers videos, I was like, you know what? I'm going to change the way I examine people. Instead of just going off of what I remember to do at that time or what I think I should do, I'm going to develop a fail-safe system. I, I think they call it uh, Pokayoka or whatever. Yeah, Pokayoki. Yeah. I took Kaizen foam, I put it in the drawer, and I put the four tools I need for the neurological exam. That's awesome. And I go up to the patient. I say, all right, we're going to do a neurological exam. So I have these tools that I'm going to use and I take them out and I put them on top of the workbench. And then as I do the exam, I put it back in the foam. So when I look at the foam, A, it looks really cool. It looks organized. Even the patient was like, oh, that looks cool. Yeah, that is cool. (laughs) The other thing is it ensures that I actually do every test that I want to do with every patient. Because if I don't, there are tools left in there or there's tools left on top. And then it ensures that I don't lose anything. Yeah. And I was just like, man, why don't, why don't we all do this? But instead, most people have their exam tools instead of laid out in an easy-to-see place in the bottom of a doctor's bag or in a, yeah. you know, and they get lost or you don't pull out that one tool because you can't find it. Therefore, you never gave that person a sensation exam and you might have missed something. And really, yeah. the chance you miss something is very low, but the, it takes seconds to do that additional level exam. And you're thinking about the customer because in that one person you find out of every... 50 or 70 that, that don't have a problem, that one that you do find, that is a big problem. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, I was just like, this is so cool. And that was one tiny improvement I made. And I'm like, how cool could this be in the future? You know? Do I have time to comment or do we need to close it Absolutely. down? Absolutely. Okay, so here's what, here's what I love about that. And, and you know this even better than I do. We as humans only have so much discipline throughout the day. By 10 a.m., we're most of the time spent. So all of this context switching from patient to patient without the Kaizen foam and without the Pokeyoki, 
makes it to where we forget patient care. We forget to ask the right questions, right? We forget to like be swarm that patient and be mentally present and ready. And so I love what you're saying because those systems prevent the need for paper bureaucracy and checklists because it's right there. And it allows you mentally to focus on the patient because what people don't realize, they think, oh yeah, I can just be here and remember the 500 different things that could possibly treat this patient. Um, no, no. If your mind is also attempting to remember to pull these tools out of your bag, it is not also remembering. In fact, one of these days, I want to get your folks on a call and we're going to play what's called the 5S game. And it's going to prove, it's a, it's such a great simulation. But we don't have the mental capacity to do it. That's why people that go that go before a court judge after lunch when they haven't eaten, like at 3 o'clock, like it's a 60% difference on the leniency of court cases. It's because wow. they've lost their mental discipline. And um, there, the one last thing that I'll say, and I hope this helps, this is from a non-medical professional. Um, and I'm not, in Arizona, we have a lot of naturopathic doctors. I know that a lot of doctors don't like that. I, this isn't a political debate. I, I'm not meaning it that way. What I am saying is that there's a difference in the modalities that are used. Like, so my naturopath, so I used to go to a regular doctor, God bless them, they're doing great things. And I said, I don't, you will not prescribe something to me. I, I'm asking your advice. You will not prescribe something to me today. I, on my watch, 58 seconds later, he had prescribed something to me. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, I am done with this. My naturopathic doctor every three months does a full blood panel, uh, has all of my vitals, all of the details, all of the numbers, and says, this is low, that's high, this is, this is what we can do, and we have natural, uh, uh, natural solutions for that. And the next time in three months, you'll see those numbers improving or declining. Um, and so what does that tell us? That means that not only is that in the office, they're swarming me and taking care of me, but they have data, they're listening. They're not making guesses of just what they normally do, right? And they're actually going all in in the patient care. And so as you're foaming that stuff, you're not worried. You're not, your mind isn't over here. Your mind is right here. And are you asking this question? Could it be the muscle? And I'm not a doctor, but could it be this muscle in the back that's hurting my, in the front, that's hurting my, my shoulder muscle in the back? You're like, you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Customer care, customer care, customer care, because we're not overburdened with waste. And I think that is the beauty of the system. Do we have data? Are we focused? Do we have Pokeyoko to where there's built-in systems that are routine that don't bog our minds down? And are we able to give a full customer care, not just standard care? And I hate that that word exists, normal standards of care. Like when, if you were to get sued, they would say, well, what's the normal standards of care? We don't want normal standards of care. We want that word you like, remarkable. And the only way we get remarkable is when we are all in. We're not doing this insurance, and I'm going to go to the next insurance and the next insurance. No, this is the patient. Let's focus right here. Let's just wait till they're out the door. What is going on? Listen, ask the questions, mind the data, get it done. I love what you're saying. Awesome. Do we have time to go a little longer? Are you good? You do you your thing. Go. I've got to be done at like 510. Let's do nine more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So uh, I want to ask this. So if, if uh, well, number one, let's, let's explain 3Sing and 5Sing because again, I, I think this is a concept that's awesome, but, um, and it's just kind of a tenant of lean, but some folks might not know what that means. Okay. What is 3Sing? 
All right, so 5Sing is uh, sort, uh, uh, let me see if I can get it. Uh, um, dang it. You, I, I was, sort. no, it's not sweet. It's, uh, oh. oh, yeah. Uh, sort, straighten. Thank goodness. I was about okay. to lose myself. I'd, I'd have to retire if I didn't have that. Sort, straighten, sweep or shine, standardize, sustain. So basically, sort is get rid of the stuff you don't need. Straighten means organize what you have there that needs to stay. Um, and then uh, sweep and shine means make it clean. Wipe it down, sweep it, make sure it's polished. Standardize meaning make it easy on yourself. If you have like cleaning buckets and mops, shadow board them, get your lean foam. Make it easy every day to do this. And then and uh, sustain means make habits. Paul Aker says, I'm not doing all five of them. Uh, I'm doing the, just the three. Uh, sort, straighten, uh, shine, sweep, right? And so we, we do three S, and there are some people in Lean that say you don't need it everywhere. False. You in every office, every organization, every family needs to 3S in the morning. Best thing we can do. Come in, you got 15 minutes. I'm paying it free and clear. We can't charge insurance, but 15 minutes, 20 hour, whatever you want to spend, we're 3Sing. And what we do is we go through and say, what does not belong here? And we remove it. And then what is here? Is it in the right place to reduce motion and to make it more effective? And number three, is it clean and beautiful? Because again, our environment gives us indicators. You know, like, and this is a shout out to, uh, not a shout out, but a call to action to doctors' offices. How many times does the does the waiting room, waiting room, right, have nasty old paint everywhere, and they have million dollar equipment everywhere, but they won't even touch up the paint? You know what I mean? It needs to be beautiful, right? And so, why do we do that? People are like, oh yeah, I've heard about that before. It keeps your office clean. No, 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 no. We three s to find problems. Because if it's dirty, you'll never see a problem. If it's dirty, you will never see a lack of quality. If it's dirty, you won't see the lack of safety. If it's dirty, you won't see the customer suffering. If it's dirty, you won't see what you need to see. So in construction, if I'm out on the construction site, and it's like if it's like most construction projects where it's dirty and messy and it's chaos everywhere, I won't see the quality problem, the safety problem, the person struggling, the person that's, that's overburdened, the crew that's overburdened, the foreman that's frustrated. I won't see any of that. Because I didn't 3S, because it's not a stable environment. So once we've cluttered, decluttered our environment 3S, now we'll see, oh my gosh, that clipboard is three or four, four feet above me. Why don't I move that down here? Why don't I turn my desk in this direction? Why don't I... Like, instead of just having all these extra pins left over, why don't you know, just, you'll find problems. And that's when you start to make incremental improvements every day. That's 3Sing. And companies that do that not only raise their mental set point, um, because it's just like the thermostat. My thermostat set to 72 degrees. If I open the door and it gets hot, what happens when I shut the door? It's going to go right back. What do I do if I turn it to 68 and then I like, nope, it's going to go back to, and then it goes back on its timer back to 72. It'll go right back to 72. We have to change our mental set points for customer servants, for for beauty, for joy, for improvement, for functionality, for everything. We have to raise it from mediocre to excellent. And we do that through 3Sing. The eight ways, like I said, let's see if I can get them again. Overproduction, which is overproducing things before the customer needs it. Inventory, which means you have excess materials or paperwork or whatever that's not needed, right? Uh, Motion, motion is waste. If you have to move too much, unless you're just doing it for exercise, right? It's waste. Transportation, 
Uh, transportation, moving things back and forth throughout the office, that's waste. Uh, defects, right? If we're pushing things forward and it's defective, and even letting the patient leave without a full uh, a form of care is a defect when they have to come back to the office. Then over-processing, they have to come back or I have to redo that paperwork or, or, or. And then waiting, anytime your customer's waiting is a waste and not using the genius of the team, the wisdom of the team, the buying of the team, the input of the team, the improvements of the team, that is the ultimate waste because it could have prevented all of the others. So the, what, the two biggest ones that I always like to focus on are the genius of the team and overproducing something. We never overproduce something past its inventory buffer, past its buffer. Meaning if you have a waiting room, maybe they don't, maybe you get the wait time down to one minute. Maybe you only need two chairs, but you don't need 18 chairs, right? There's the right size buffer. Maybe there's, you know, a, a, a delay between seeing patients. It's not an hour. Maybe it's two minutes. There's a buffer for everything. So we have to reduce the waiting down to the appropriate in, uh, appropriate inventory or waiting or time buffers. And and that's, uh, that's the definition of both of those. And like I said, le- everyone should have a card in their pocket. You can do this tomorrow about the eight ways and three essing. Ask them to do it for 15 minutes for the next three months. Make sure that it annoys the heck out of them and then give everyone time to start making two second lean improvements every day. You know, as you're talking about that, like overproduction, inventory, all those things, really the defects in medicine are misdiagnosis. And why do you misdiagnose? Because you, good chance you didn't pay attention. And why didn't you pay attention? Because you're overproducing. You're trying to do too much Mm -hmm. at the wrong time. Okay, well, why were you doing that? Because you were... You know, like we can keep going over and over and like, oh, because you, you needed more time. Why did you have more time? Well, because your offices are spread out so far that you, ha- you spend one minute going between patient visits and that ends up, adds up to 30 minutes in a day, you know, and why do you do that? Well, that's just because of the way the office is laid out and I have to go up to the waiting room and this and that. And if you went to your front desk and said, what should I do here? How can I reduce the time? Then they might have said, "Well, I don't know why you always have you always come up here. Why don't we just leave the clipboards at the back where you are?" Yeah. And that clipboards moving to the back would be the reason you don't misdiagnose something and the reason somebody doesn't die. You know, and it's like it's a crazy thought to think it comes back to like moving clipboards, but that's the way this works. And that constant improvement and getting the genius of your team involved can equal so much. So Anyway, here, here's a quick example too. If you take 20 envelopes, 20 papers, 20 stamps, and if you have somebody fold all of the papers and then stuff all of the papers and then lick all, the, all of the envelopes and then stamp them all, that is two and a half minutes longer than if you picked up a paper, folded it, stuffed the envelope, licked it and put a stamp and put that one thing over to the side. And then folded the paper and stuffed the envelope, licked it, and then put the stamp, and then one. One piece flow. Do one thing at a time. We think batching is effective and saves time. It is not. When we do one thing at a time, one patient at a time, get that one patient through that office as a flow unit, or two, maybe you have to do two, I don't know, or maybe you have to do five at a time, but reducing the amount of your our focus and the context switching provides better surface, reduced defects, it's faster and it costs less money. Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, I think you're onto something huge there, Jason, because the reason we have so many people in our office is we're like, oh, we want to book more people for that same, you know, slot. 
And then you end up contact context switching so much. I go from Jason, oh yeah, how's your heart? Can you know blood pressure? Blah blah blah. Now let me go check, you know, Miss Johnson's uh, temperature, and then I'm going to go back here and palpate somebody's uh, arm, and I'm jumping back and forth. Well, then when I go to do my notes, there's no way really I remember Jason had a heart condition, and so therefore I never write that down in the chart. And mm-hmm. then later, when you talk about something, you miss it, and it's like step back and think you're going to have to spend whatever it is, 10 minutes with Jason, period. Now you can break it into five, two minute chunks, which is a huge waste of transportation, motion, you know, all those things. Or I can walk into the room with him and go, Jason, I got 10 minutes. Let's really dig down to what's going on. Yeah. And I just break that down. The patient experience is better. The accuracy is better. The results are better. So, all right. I know you got to go. I, I don't want to take too much time. And once again, those of you listening, I hope you Loved uh, listening to Jason and his wisdom because it is wisdom. You ever heard the wisdom versus knowledge thing? Yeah. Uh, Knowledge is knowing the tomatoes are fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad. (laughs) Yeah. The one I heard was the the smart man glories in all he knows. The wise man uh, is humble that he knows no more. So mine was different. (laughs) Awesome. Well, if people want to listen to the number one uh, lean construction podcast, how can they, how can they find you? Can you give out your info and and maybe uh, even where they can contact you directly yeah absolutely and the other thing is i do organizational health and team building consulting for anyone not just in construction so that's helpful to know uh i'll tell you unless you are planning to stalk and kill my family i'll give you my phone number so 602-571-8987 you can uh, contact me he uh, answers that by the way because i called him last week out of the blue with no (laughs) contacts and he answered and and Jason S J A S O N S at Elevate Construction I S T dot com. The I S T stands for Insight Solutions and Training. Um, and then my website, uh, elevateconstructionist.com, uh, there's a, actually a number of different things. The Elevate Construction YouTube channel, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, and then obviously the Elevate Construction podcast. Uh, if you need anything, oh, the other thing, just one last plug, uh, the table group, the Patrick Lencioni group, I am one of their uh, uh, Kappa Pro uh, associate and uh, part of their associate consultant program, and so I have access to all their tools. So I do any kind of organizational health, uh, business consulting when it comes to to clarity and the alignment of the business, team building, personal organization, and like I said, organizational health consulting. So that's how you can get a hold of me. Love it. All right, Jason. Well, thank you so much for the your time today. This has been amazing, and I really think we can change the world with the lessons you shared just in this hour, let alone with people, what people are going to learn from all the recommendations and all the books and videos you recommended as well. So on behalf of Jason Schroeder, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. As always, this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. What is Clinic Gym Connect? Well, it is a communication software that allows you to connect with your clients, communicate, market to them, follow up, provide amazing service, and help them fall in love with you even more than they already do. So if you are interested in all those things and people falling in love with you, you should probably check out ClinicGymConnect.com. Once again, that's ClinicGymConnect.com. <laughs>